and for the kids in our midst, and bless us this day, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I want to start with a story about some chicken salad. Years ago, uh, my friend and I were running some errands, and we stopped at Quiznos for lunch. My friend, she got the chicken salad in one of those plastic clamshell containers, clear top, black bottom. And uh, there's only one problem. She didn't finish her salad, and she wasn't sure where in my car to put it, and so she slid it underneath her seat. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? It was July, and I left the next day on vacation for a week, leaving that clamshell container of salad to fester for a while. Well, I got back, and because my car was so hot, I rolled down all the windows, opened all the doors, and apparently cleared out enough of the smell that I didn't immediately notice it until the next night when I'm driving in my car and something maleficent and odiferous hit me like a ton of bricks. I pulled my car to the side of the street and I looked for what had died. And I finally look underneath my passenger seat and there is this clamshell container with the moldy remnants of chicken salad and that mold had creeped across the bottom up the walls and was covering the inside plastic lid of that container and it looked like it was ready to burst and further defile the remnants of the inside of my car. And so I drove like a dog with my head out the window harder than it looks until I found the nearest dumpster to chuck that plastic container away. And yet my car was still saturated with this scent. And the following day, I was supposed to give a friend a ride up to Portland and I was wondering what to do. How do I clean the inside of this car from what has defiled it? And that was when I discovered Febreze. So this is not a product push, but I'm a huge fan of that particular product, uh, and it cleaned out the inside of my car. Now, the point I want to start with this morning is that humanity pollutes the environment, or my friend polluted the inside of my car. And whether we're talking about greenhouse gases or mountains of trash or oil spills in the Atlantic, this is a deep water horizon, that bright spot in the middle is where the oil had caused the waves to smooth out and so the sun was reflecting more brightly. This NASA took this photo from space. Humans pollute the environment that we live in. But it's more than that. See, humans pollute the spiritual environment of where we live. You might not see it, and maybe you can't smell it, but you know when you walk into an environment that's been polluted. Some of you have had jobs like that. You didn't mind the work, the pay wasn't too bad, but the relationships between you and your boss or you and your coworkers were so toxic that you had to leave. Some of you come from families like that, where you walk around on eggshells because there's just something in the air and we can't get along. And what happens with us as individuals and families can take place on a national level. I mean, I could have put a picture of Ukraine right now, but this is a picture of a refugee camp from the Rwandan genocide. When one group of Rwandans decided to chase another group of Rwandans with machetes and try to murder them. Humans not only polluted the environment physically, they polluted it spiritually. And this is a problem because the Bible tells us God wants the environment to be clean. See, the Bible tells a story that God, who made the heavens, the earth, 
the sea, and everything that fills them longs to dwell with humanity, who God has created to steward this good earth. But the story of the Bible says that humanity rebelled against God. We went our own way, and we made a mess of everything. And so God wants it to be clean. And there's two ways in the Bible that God will take care of the pollution humans bring into the world. We call it sin, death, corruption, the fall. All right, the first way God takes care of it is judgment. Like in the story of the flood, God will wipe the slate clean. This is how he's taking care of this creation that he made and he cares about. Now, the second way is through the one family that God spared, Noah on the ark. When Noah gets off the ark, Noah makes a sacrifice to atone for sin. So these are your options, (laughs) judgment or atonement. And in the Old Testament, uh, in ancient times, it was through the sacrifice of an animal whose blood would ritually cleanse away the stain of sin. So humans pollute the environment. God wants it to be clean. And we can either face judgment or we can deal with atonement. Now, to fast forward in the story, we get to the story of the nation of Israel. God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt, brought them to Mount Sinai. And now God is entering into a special relationship with these people where God is coming to live in their midst. Once again, you have a special place where God and humanity are dwelling together and things go bad again. So we have the story of Nadab and Abihu. These are two priests who decided that they could ignore what God had spoken And so they faced judgment. They were killed for their insolence. And their dead bodies were removed like a nasty chicken salad from the tabernacle of God's presence. But there's still a stench that remains. How is God's sacred space going to be cleansed from the pollution that humanity has brought? The answer to that is in chapter 16, the day of atonement. And sandwiched between the day of atonement And the story of the priests inaugurating and defiling the tabernacle, we have a bunch of rules all about how the Israelites are to be cleansed from the impurities that just come with living in a broken world. And the reason these laws are here is to show how a holy God and people who are still messed up can live together. So these are laws of purification. Purification. This is how we clean the air around here so that people can continue to experience the blessings of God's presence. And so we come to chapters 11 through 15. Now, back in chapter 10, we were given a foreshadowing. This is what's coming. After the death of the two priests, God tells her dad, Aaron, you are not to get drunk, but rather to distinguish between the holy and the common. That's chapter 17 through 27. And between the unclean and the clean, those are the passages we're in right now. All right. And you're to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that Yahweh has spoken to them by Moses. So here we go. These are the chapters we are in. Chapter 11 is about what animals are clean, what animals are unclean, what you can eat, what you cannot eat. Chapter 12 is about childbirth and how many days of purification a woman needs to have after giving birth to a boy or a girl. And then wonderfully, we have chapters 13 and 14. These are wonderfully long chapters about various types of skin diseases that one can contract and how to be ritually pured and about mold growing in your home. And then we get to chapter 15 and it's about stuff that comes out of our bodies, uh, both stuff that's supposed to and stuff that's not supposed to. And I am so glad we are on a family Sunday this morning. So if, you're for, if you'll forgive me for this, uh, I'm not going to read these passages 
uh, at length this morning. I'm going to talk about the story behind all of these rules, and I hope that's okay with you. See, there's a few verses that highlight what is going on here and why this continues to be instruction for us. All right? But to start off with, the God of creation, who determines what is good for human flourishing, is the God of covenant who determines what is good or clean for his people. There's a lot of echoes between the book of Genesis and what we're reading right now. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God distinguishes between light and darkness. God separates between the waters above and the waters below. God separates the water from the dry land. And throughout Genesis 1, God again and again is saying, it is good, it is good, it is very, very good. Because God is the one who says, this is good for humans to abide in. Now we get to chapters 11 through 15, and here God is doing the same thing. He's making separations between what is clean for his people and what is unclean. And the point is, Will humans listen to what God says is good and right and true for us? Or will we go our own way? When it comes to chapter 12 uh, and chapter 15, we're given a few narrative clues uh, to understand this context. So in chapter 12, verse 4, after a woman gives birth to a baby boy, she must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. In chapter 15, we read, you must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean so they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. So we call it clean or unclean. That's how they're most often translated in our Bibles. You could also translate them pure or impure. And some of your Bibles go out of the way to say ceremonially clean, ceremonially unclean. Because we're not actually talking about sin in most instances. We're talking about what God has made a distinction between. And the whole point is if you are in a state of ritual impurity, you don't go worship God like that. You get clean first. So it's not whether or not you sinned. It's that there are appropriate times and appropriate ways to come and encounter a holy God. And there's things you just don't show up and do in God's presence. So again, it's not a sin to be pure or, I mean, unclean or impure, but you cannot come into the contact with a holy God while in that state. And this doesn't mean that God is mean. So let me tell you a story about grandmothers and fiberglass. My brother, Luke, after graduating high school, decided to move in with my grandparents and go to college. But he got a job spraying fiberglass for a manufacturing company. And it's dirty work. He came home and he's kind of green with fiberglass in his hair. It's in his ears. It's all over his clothes. And despite the fact that my grandmother is a very gracious, loving, hospitable woman, my brother was just not welcome to come into the house and lay down on the couch. No, you enter through the garage, make a hard left into the bathroom where you shower, you get into a clean set of clothes, and then you can come lay on the couch and experience the hospitality of my grandmother's house. It's not that she didn't love it. It's that certain things do not belong in her space. She has standards. God is the same way. It's not that these things are inherently bad, but if you are going to come and approach the holy God, do not drag this stuff in with you. And 
My best understanding of the logic of why these chapters, which seem rather random to us English speakers, um, why they're put in this order is I think we are mirroring or reflecting on the fallout of sin from the curse. So if you remember the first story of people who experienced God's presence, who were given laws about what to eat and what not to eat, and they rebelled against God, God begins with addressing a snake, then he addresses the woman, then he addresses the man. The snake is cursed to swarm on the ground. The woman is told that she is going to suffer and childbearing, both conception and giving birth to children, is going to be a lot harder now. And God tells the man that now uh, the aspects of the fall are going to show up on his skin. He's going to toil and work the ground by the sweat of his brow. And they're going to experience death because they have now cut themselves off from the source of life and goodness. Now we come to Leviticus. It falls right after a passage of people who lived in God's presence and who sinned and experienced death because of it. And chapter 11 is all about what you can eat and what you can't eat. And the most unclean creature is a snake that swarms on the ground. The very next chapter is about women and childbearing. The very next chapter is about people who experience death on their skin with diseases and bodily emissions. And again, my best understanding for why these are ordered is they are meant for us to reflect upon the stories in Genesis. So we come to chapter 11. Animals, this is what you can eat. This is what you cannot eat. And they're separated by the creative order. There's the land animals, there's the birds, there's the fish. And God is making distinctions. These are clean, these are unclean. Eat these, don't eat these. And at the end of Leviticus, God says, don't make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. Because I am Yahweh, who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I'm holy. Be separate because I'm special. You now belong to me, so show it, even down to the way that you eat food. Holiness is an invitation to become like God, appropriately. Because the original sin was trying to seize likeness to God on our terms. Will God's people listen to his instructions? You get to chapters 13 and 14, and now we have diseases that come on the skin and in the homes. And just as in the beginning, the man and the woman, they realized their sin on their skin and they hid their nakedness and they were exiled from God's garden. So now people in Israel who contract uh, these contagious skin diseases have experienced death on their skin and they have to go outside of the camp. And we learn about what these sacrificial uh, systems are by watching how someone who is sick with these diseases is brought back into relationship with God and his people. If you happen to be cleansed, we're not told how that could happen. You first, you make an offering that has all these echoes of Noah and the ark, like two birds being let go out in the open field, one being killed. And just as Noah and his family, when they were spared from the flood, had to wait at the door of the ark for seven days. So after the first sacrifice, someone who's been cleansed waits at the door of their tent for seven days. And then on the eighth day, They go through a consecration ritual where they are symbolically anointed as a mini priest almost. The guilt offering blood is put again on their earlobe, their thumb, their big toe, and they are welcomed back into the community through a guilt offering. Their sin is dealt with through a purification offering and then a burnt offering is offered on their behalf. And that's where it stops 
But we know from reading the rest of Leviticus that now they are in a a state where someone who was exiled away from the source of life and goodness out there in the wilderness is now at a place where they can have fellowship with God through a peace offering should they choose to do so. We get to chapter 15. Here's my best guess. Is that stuff that leaves your body makes you unclean because life is leaving your body. And that all of these chapters have to do with the fact that we live in a broken, corrupt state where things are not as they are intended to be. And it's not sin. At least most of it's not. You can even choose to ritually become impure. But throughout these chapters, we have regulations saying, if this happens, just wash and then you can come encounter God or wash and wait for a period of time and you can come and experience God's presence and blessing. Again, it's not a sin, but certain things just don't come into God's space. It smells bad to him, you might say. Otherwise, you might die because God is holy. He's like the sun or like a strong current of electricity or heavy machinery, things that are good. But if you do this wrong, it could cost you your life. So let's be really, really careful with it. And all of these have to do with just wrestling with the implications. What does it mean that God lives among us? What does it mean that we share space now with him? And this can look like all sorts of things. As a human example, I've lived with my wife now for 12 and a half years. And there's things that I do and things that I do not do because I live with a woman named Kara. It's not about sin. I don't eat red onions anymore because I like to kiss my wife and she doesn't like kissing a mouth that has been eating red onions. <laughs> it's just a matter of priorities here, you know? I, I don't have the same relationships with women that I did when I was single a, as a category. Why? Because I'm pure in a relationship with her. I set myself apart for her. I don't, I don't watch the same movies that I might naturally be inclined to watch because she hates them. (laughs) All right. It's worth it. And what we see in these chapters is God giving the people of Israel all of these distinguishing marks of if you want to live with me, here are the things that you should keep yourself from or you should avoid coming into my presence with. But it's an invitation to live in the presence of God and to experience his blessings. So overall, the picture painted is that holiness and purity are to be the mark of those, the mark of lives of those who, sorry, let me just read it. Holiness and purity are to mark the lives of those close to God. All right. Why do we grow in here, grow in these ways? It's because God is with us, because we belong to him. It's an invitation to a deeper, richer, more joyful life in God's presence. That's what holiness and purity are all about. And since we're going to go to holiness later on in Leviticus, let's just focus on purity. Purity is to mark the lives of those close to God. See, God wants a clean and pure people for himself, and we are to be pure because we belong to God. So let's think about purity for a minute. And I want to focus particularly on this one aspect of of purity. You know, Paul will tell the Corinthian church, you know, God's with you. He lives in you. So Uh, practice sexual purity. Don't go sleeping around with prostitutes or doing anything bad because God lives with you. That's a great element of purity to focus on. But I'm going to focus on the element this morning of at the appropriate time, be completely prepared to worship the Lord. What happens when we show up on a Sunday morning to worship God together with his people? And what would purity look like 
in this instance. Because for the Israelites, it involved not eating certain foods or, hey, if you touched uh, a carcass, you've got to wash, you have to make yourself clean. Okay, now you can come. Is there anything that we as 21st century Christians can learn about coming to encounter God among his people from the purity laws of Leviticus? Here's a few thoughts. There's things we should separate ourselves from when we come to worship God. So let's go down the list. <laughs> food. I was like, all right, what would food? Jesus declared all foods clean, so you can eat a bacon cheeseburger. Congratulations. But I'm like, oh, don't bring pizza in and not share it during the worship time. Can you imagine if while we were sitting here gathered together to worship God, someone showed up and they ordered a fresh pizza and they cracked open a beer and they began to just have their own little private party while the rest of us are trying to worship God. We, I mean, it's silly, but we'd say that is totally inappropriate for this time and space. And we'd be right because God matters and we are designating a, set, a part of our week to focus on him. Or what about childbirth? <laughs> Ladies, if you have given birth to a baby, one, congratulations. That was really, really hard. Maybe don't feel the pressure to immediately jump back to be here with a brand new baby. Maybe like rest and heal first. And that would be appropriate. Why? Because we've come to worship God as, as a community. Or maybe when you think of the skin diseases, if you're contagious with something, don't come and get other people sick. We love you. Stay home. And then when you're welcome, join us as soon as possible. Or, you know, men and women, don't make out when you come to church. Or cover your cough and don't share your body fluids with the rest of us. Like I just went down the list of Leviticus, and again, they're silly, but it's something to say that we have come to encounter a holy God, and certain things are appropriate for when we gather, and certain things are not. Now, if we were going to take this and move it into a different direction, what other ways we could, could we think of, of coming in a, a state that is somewhat pure to encounter God? I thought about what if we decided we'd never come worship God with unconfessed sin? The scriptures say, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive you our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus makes us clean. Jesus makes us pure. What if we got ourselves right with God? And maybe you're here this morning and something has gone on in your life for a long time and you've never told anyone. I don't know if there's someone here that you feel safe enough just to say, I should, I should tell someone. That would be an appropriate response to worship to get right with God. Or maybe you should prepare for coming here by being careful about what content you consume before you come to worship. Maybe on a Sunday morning, there's certain things on TV that you shouldn't be turning on, certain podcasts you shouldn't be listening to. I knew one family that on Saturday night, they made their, sure their kids never stayed out too late because they needed to get a good night's sleep so they could show up and be present to worship God with his community on Sunday morning. I love to listen to audiobooks, but not on Sunday morning. Why? Because I'm going to come, hopefully prepared, to worship God with his people. How do we, how do we engage fully with the life-giving, joyful presence of God among his people? See, because Jesus makes us pure. And Jesus makes the unclean clean. And if you want to see something cool, go read the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, this afternoon. 
and watch as Jesus systematically encounters people suffering from the afflictions of chapter 11 through chapter 15 of the book of Leviticus. How he touches the leper. How he heals a woman who has uh, consistent bleeding that won't stop from her body. And he makes those who are ritually unclean and therefore in Israelite culture prevented from encountering God. And God and Jesus shows up and encounters them and cleanses them and heals them. See, no longer do our stains, no longer do these things keep us from God's presence. He's come to deal with all of it in Jesus. But God wants us to be pure. He's made a way for us to be pure in Christ. And if God has made a way for him to be approached, we better take it. Because Nadab and Abihu taught us, you can't just come to God any way you want to. Like you're covered in fiberglass and you're going to lay down on his couch. It's like, no, no, no. No, we're going to do this in the right way. So again, if the point is purity is to mark the lives of those close to God, what would it look like if we were fully devoted to him? If we cared about who our God was and about making him pleased with us. Again, not in, I'm not even talking about like making a moral uh, sin or not necessarily, but just what delights him, what pleases him. When, when faced with a choice between something that's okay and something that delights God's heart, what are we going to choose? And so this morning, I just want us to wrestle with the implications of living life with God and to enjoy intimacy with God and have that deepen as we grow in our purity together. So that's what I've got on Leviticus 11 through 15. Would you pray with me? Father, you are good, you are gracious, and you are great. Thank you for the way that you have chosen us to belong to you and the way that you have healed us and blessed us and made us your own. God, thank you that you are going to make us clean in Jesus, that you have purified us from our unrighteousness and from the things that just stain us. So you are a God that didn't hold back uh, because we stunk. (laughs) But you came and, and you washed away our sins and you have dealt with the corruption of sin and death. Jesus, thank you for being our high priest who has made an appropriate sacrifice on our behalf. But Holy Spirit, I do pray that you would purify us again, that you would give us a clean heart. You would give us a clean mind that we would have clean eyes before you, that we would do righteous deeds, that our, our thoughts and our eyes and our hands and our feet would be consecrated to living a holy and pure life before you, God, to please you because we have already been accepted by you. So God, empower us today to become more like Christ. Would you, by the power of your spirit in us, and would you be praised by it, Father? For now and, for, and forever, we praise you. In Christ's name, amen.